Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mack, and this is the Kobe Told Me Podcast. It's your whenever I want to deep dive with the Mac himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure. And it's brought to you by the 4th District Podcast Network. Would you please consider giving your boy a follow? I'm on all the socials at Kobe Told Me on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm on Facebook at Kobe Mac. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. This is episode 37, your Bad Boys for Life review. Yo, another epic week is in the books, and I'm feeling a lot better than what I was earlier. Still got some adult stuff that kind of kicked my ass in the beginning of this week, but I took care of it. You know, when life comes at you fast, you got to think a little bit faster. You got to smile in the face of adversity. And I'm thankful for having a very supportive family structure and a dope as hell wife who is amazing uh, at balancing the books and can be there. The Rock. To help me handle things when, you know, house, adult stuff doesn't go the way that you want. But yo, that's enough of the bad stuff that didn't start out so well to the beginning of my week. But I still made time to do the damn thing and watch movies. That's what I do. Yo, the 2020 movie count currently stands at seven movies that I've watched at the theater as of January the 23rd. And I've got a bunch more to go. It feels weird. Like, I think my pace is ahead of where I was this time last year, but I don't know. I I, like, for some reason, I'm like, yo, I wanted to have seen like 10 by now. But I guess, you know, we we do have like an extra week in the month of January this year. And I mean, seeing seven films, I've seen everything that's come out, you know, um, that's been a major release. There's a couple of indie films that I was hoping uh, to catch that I, I, I can't seem to find anywhere. Like, I know there's this film, um, The Three Jesuses, uh, that I was really hoping to be able to find. Um, there's this film called Run that I'm trying to find. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, man. I don't know who to write. I'm in Atlanta where they shoot everything, but they do not screen everything here. So it's a little frustrating. It's a little tough. But I'll be patient, and I'm hoping I can be able to catch some stuff a little bit more. Of course, I got a chance to watch Bad Boys for Life. The, the trilogy ender, or maybe not, with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and everybody saw it. The box office was big, and I'll get into it in a little bit. Also got a chance to catch Doolittle, which you'd be surprised by the words that I have for this film. I also streamed a couple of stuff. You know, folks were telling me about this show Dracula on Netflix, and I was like, well, one, I'm a sucker for vampire shows. I really, really am, and I love... I love the lore of vampirism and I like the different interpretations of these creatures and I'll tell you the the trailer that was cut that you watch sometimes after you finish something on Netflix I think I had finished watching you and it didn't come right afterwards but like it was available to see and I'm like what is this Dracula show and it was weird because the lead guy that's playing Dracula like he is not what yo there's things about this series that like i should not like but i absolutely do yo i highly recommend 
to watch this Dracula series. It's it's a BBC series, um, and it's on Netflix right now. There's only three episodes, but if you're familiar with uh, BBC dramas, uh, they're long episodes. They're like an hour and a half each, but it is a really cool interpretation, um, and it, it, it takes some really bold chances that really did work for me. A lot of folks had a lot of unique commentary on it um, on Twitter, so it was great kind of hearing people's different thoughts on it, and yeah, I'm going to drop the mini review probably at the same time that I dropped this podcast. I'm not going to go into it too much because I really would like folks to give it a shot, and, and let's talk about it. Let's chop it up because um, if you're a fan of vampires like me, this I, I will say this this does some really cool things I think that you like, and if you don't, I'd love for you to tell me why. Um, another Netflix drop that I got a chance to catch was Tyler Perry's latest film. I really hope this doesn't become a trend. A Fall from Grace. Now, keep in mind, guys, I am the best subjectively objective critic in the game, right? I say that and I mean it. And I'm also, I'm a defender of film. And I have extended a lot of grace pun fully intended to Tyler Perry. He, and I'll put this on Front Street, he is an icon in the industry. His story is amazing. What he has done for black and brown voices independently for film, what he's done to build not only just his own studio, but a studio that rivals many other major players in the game is tremendous. I live 15 minutes away from Tyler Perry Studios. I love the amount of opportunity that he's given to creatives in this industry. But I'll say this, as long as I've known this man and his work and you know what they call like the Chitlin circuit where he's taking his Medea plays and stuff like that, this is stuff that like I grew up on, right? And I think it was cool to see those stories be adapted to the big screen to reach an even wider audience. And I think that there's a segment of the culture that was being introduced to Tyler Perry that may not necessarily had access to him if you weren't familiar or had family in the South, right? And they've been crazy successful. I mean, Diary of a, a Mad Black Woman, Daddy's Little Girls, I Can Do Bad All By Myself, Meet the Browns, like objectively they may not be the greatest films but i really do believe that because a lot of the content leans so much on the comedy that is subjective and funny enough one of my favorite films of 2019 was dolomite is my name and there was something that rudy ray moore taught me not that i didn't already know but it further highlighted that there are films and content that are made to satisfy specific audiences. And it doesn't mean that it's bad that it does that or it feels exclusionary to everybody else. And I feel like I have a tough burden because I have such a wide palette of what I watch. It's not always fair to try to hold one film up against another. And I do really good at compartmentalizing. But there is something about a fall from grace that just crossed the line. I don't know if Tyler Perry said to himself, you know what? <laughs> I'm doing this different. I don't got that universal money that I'm leaning on to try to go ahead and crank out 
20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars in a domestic run in the theater, I'm gonna take the bag from Netflix and I'm not even gonna try. I'm trying to be nice, y'all. I like I I really, really am because I typically have not felt this way about Tyler Perry's films before. Now I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen a good amount. Like, yo, last year when I saw a Medea family funeral, I rated it a five out of ten. Not a good movie, not a bad movie either, because I understood that the comedy, yo, it was like uneven, but it it kind of worked. It worked in the ways that I completely understand how he was delivering the comedy and the story for a specific audience the way that they expect it to. And there is a level of expectation that he's catering these films to, and it doesn't make it bad. It just doesn't make it the most polished choice, right? Subjectively. But I also believe that he was trying. Yo, this film, which it's about a story of a woman who is in prison and she is supposed to be like (laughs) she's supposed to be you know sitting down with a public defender essentially entering a um a a guilty plea it stars crystal fox i'm not too familiar with her um i am very familiar with felicia rashad that yo shout out to felicia rashad um that's claire huxtable from the cosby show and Apparently, so Crystal Fox, she's this disheartened, you know, uh, I don't want to say she's, she's an older woman, um, and she, her, her ex-husband had an affair, uh, her name is Grace Waters, and she ends up having this new romance, but secrets in her romance begin to shatter her joy, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of putting this in my own words, it's a horrible IMDB little plot synopsis, it's, yeah, this is really, really bad. It's got Brisha Webb in it. Um, yo, the thing is, okay, so, <laughs> oh my God, yo, this is the thing. I, I, I just really don't understand. I think there's a deeper issue at work. I truly don't believe that Tyler Perry said, I'm just not going to care. I just, oh, I think it's got to be a little bit of both. I don't think he cares. And I also don't think that like he's trying anymore. I, 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 I think he's a bit disillusioned and I'll tell you this, the moment that I dropped my mini review on the socials, I got a lot of folks that were like, yeah, Kobe, you're right. And then I got a lot of Tyler Perry truthers and man, did they come for your boy hard. And I got to be honest with you, it's the type of stuff where I truly do not, I I mean, I lament all the time. I don't ever want to be that hyperbolic critic that is just like completely tearing into something just because it's cool to do so, right? Like one, I really meticulously thought about all the elements compositionally in this film that do not work to tell the folks before you watch it, yo, you really want to proceed with caution. You know what happens when folks, when I tell them like, yo, a movie's really, really bad, it makes them want to watch it that much more. But what's become very evident is that Tyler Perry has not evolved as a storyteller. And this film is all the evidence that you need. Like legitimately the story is boring it's very uninteresting it's it's a courtroom drama that takes place inside of a holding you know interview area between a lawyer and her client and the lawyer is from the public defender's office and she's supposed to be serving you know plea papers to her defendant which she wants to take the plea and then she doesn't but she truly believes that she commits this crime and then literally two acts into the film as 
for some reason she's giving the story about why she did what she did the lawyer says to herself i don't think that you did what she did and i can see where he was trying to expose some of the inconsistencies kind of like with just mercy how our judicial system can just take the word of things and doesn't really try to do its job but like everything you did around it doesn't support that like that it, it's it's so odd he and then also the direction is just lazy like it, it's really careless and it's careless in the sense that there are clear production issues i don't know who the script supervisor was but there are clear inconsistencies scene by scene i mean yo just google the memes and stuff of a fall from grace and it's right there and that's exactly what the director is in charge of trying to take what's on the text and translate it to the screen and when you can't get those simple elements right it tells me that you just didn't care and you can imagine how hard it is to care when you shot the movie in five fucking days folks you don't shoot a feature film in five days i don't care who you are i've spent hours on film sets i've shot my own feature film and it took me nine days and that was guerrilla style feature filmmaking and that nine days happened over the span of a month because you know when i'm an independent filmmaker i gotta wait for the schedules of other people to be able to open up so i can be able to do it myself because it was all coming out of my pocket i took every weekend for five weeks straight to be able to shoot this movie this joker did it in five days and he's got a multi-million dollar studio in his backyard at his expense with all the bells and whistles because it's brand new i'm sorry i just i i don't understand like why would you think that's a cool thing and he's saying it like it's a badge of honor no joker it's not you're fundamentally misunderstanding like what it takes to do this job well and you're not and it shows inside of the film like one you have poor production choices like horrible production design the, the the film isn't well lit there's parts that look so dark and i just don't understand it it's not a choice it's clear laziness it's really embarrassing and it makes the actors that you put in your movie I, i'm embarrassed for them because brisha webb she's trying but like she can only do so much felicia rashad she is so much better than what she's asked to do this movie and yo this is the thing i wish i was six foot something to be a makad brooks Makad has chops, but there's been a couple of films that he's done, like in Nobody's Fool, and in this, yo, stay away from Tyler Perry, bro. Like, legitimately, stay away because he is not making you look good. Like, you, it, oh my gosh, the wigs. Oh gosh, the wigs. He doesn't get it. He's been doing this since Diary of Mad Black Woman. He put a horrible wig on Shamar Moore of Cornrows, and this, you talking about this was like in 2004. He just hasn't grown. The screenplay really is awful. The dialogue is so like, what are we doing here? Like, I would write like this when I was in high school. And the, the fact that the most memorable element of this film is how a extra in the movie doesn't know how to fake eat and drink water. Kobe told me rating for a fall from grace, grace is 2 out of 10. Please. I know we love train wrecks, but this is something that I do not recommend for you to watch at all. And if you do, just try to see if you can make it past 30 minutes. And don't be like these fools that are just bowing to the altar of Tyler Perry. I can be impressed by a man for what he's done for the industry. 
without having to sit here and take everything he gives without being fair and giving a critique like that's that's the fairness that we seek that's the equality we see yo i got folks that were coming for me like legitimately asking me yo did somebody pay you to say this i hate folks that are like you like this is crazy you don't know what you're talking about it's 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 a lot on instagram it really really is but it's it's funny too because like when people know me i'm very fair in the way that i talk about film and you've got to do something like really offensive to have me get hyped like this it was not my intention i didn't want to spend this much time with a fall from grace but damn it tyler perry you did it oh, oh my gosh yo let me go ahead and move on into the box office to films that we really care about the people spent their hard-earned money to go out and see Shout out to the MLK holiday for bringing a boost to the entire box office for the new year. Bad Boys for Life. Yo, it did the damn thing. It made $73 million at the domestic box office over the four-day holiday. And it, yo, I'm really, really impressed by it. The studios typically always lowball these figures, so that way if they do come in above, it always looks good. But this overperformed and... I told y'all before, I was not excited. And I wasn't excited not so much that, oh, right before I saw it last week, I'm like, oh, I'm not excited. No, I wasn't excited at the thought that this film was in development hell for 10 years and we didn't know what was gonna happen. The script has exchanged hands a couple of times. Directors have kind of come and gone. Joe Carnahan was gonna go ahead and direct it and then backed away. And then we got these kind of guys we never heard before giving it a shot. And that first trailer was rough. But then I saw a second trailer. And then I'm seeing the amount of hard work that Will Smith and Martin Lawrence were doing on their press tour to sell this movie. And I kept getting wind and earned over. And then I had my tickets ready for Dolby. Hashtag Kobe did Dolby. And damn, oh damn, was it good. Yo, uh, this film exceeded all my expectations and more. Everybody loved it. It cost $90 million and it made $112 million worldwide. And you want to know why? Because when you watch this movie, yo, the magic was back. The chemistry was there. Everything that you remember from 1995's Bad Boys and 2003's Bad Boys 2, it was all there. The nostalgia that you, like, that that kind of, like, you know, that hooked you, it never felt cheap. And the thing is, this was far from a cash grab that I think a lot of folks would have thought about. This was more of, like, a cultural necessity. You know, I hate asking that question, do we need a film? Because you can ask that of almost any film. But I'm damn sure glad that we had it. I think that there was more stories to tell from Mike and Marcus inside of this universe. And I'm really glad that we got it. This movie was fun. It was a throwback. And it helped remind me of what I loved so much about 90s action comedies. And it's got this really cool contemporary flair as well. And I give that a lot of credit to the directors. The directors, they worked well with the action, with the actors, and the screenplay to really churn out something that feels like honestly one of the better stories inside of this trilogy and these guys they're kind of straight out of the michael bay like action filmmaking school adil and Bilal, and they've done some shorts and other stuff overseas but this is their big screen american popcorn debut and they knocked it out the park Yo, so much so they got folks like knocking on their door saying, hey, let's try to work and do some other stuff. And this gives me a lot of hope and promise for uh, this winter's coming to America. Eddie Murphy's long overdue sequel. Yo, the thing is, folks, these long overdue sequels typically don't work. 
I mean, take 2019, for example. We had men in black that had Tessa Thompson and that, you know, that, that had Thor. And they couldn't make that work. But, like, there's something special here in this film where you've got these two guys that have been icons in Hollywood. And they ended up capturing and recapturing lightning in a bottle. And they had the right team around them to pretty much, you know, highlight and to take advantage of it all. The moment that the movie starts, we go. We are right in the middle of the action. And then we get reminded of why we love these characters so much. Their timing was impeccable. The editing in this film, for the most part, really accentuated everything that we needed to. I was, in the first trailer, I was thinking that it was doing such a disservice to Martin Lawrence's capabilities. Not because he can't bring it. We know he can. But he's just been out of the spotlight for a little while. We almost forgot did he have it and yo he definitely has it he was hilarious he embraced who marcus burnett was he's pop pop now he's always kind of tried to find a way to transition more into being the family man and getting out of the line of fire and this film it, it has stakes it really really does it's got the action it's got the comedy and it's got heart like legitimately there are many points in this film where it is tugging on your heartstrings it's making you feel i've leapt out my chair several times and i did not think this film could be as poignant as it ended up being i was caring for new characters more than i thought i could it is risky in the trilogy of your film to introduce new characters in the way that they did and it ends up working like if you take rise of skywalker for example inside of the sequel trilogy we got introduced to new characters that just felt like set dressing right not here i mean we got vanessa hudgens we got charles melton we got alexander ludwood and this is the team where in the trailer i was like yo i think that this could go really really wrong right but i love the intergenerational conflict that you had inside of the film and it ended up being a lot of fun and it really does set a, a strong platform for more stories to tell which is really cool too you got a villain that is badass and he feels like a threat the entire time he's got motives and he sticks to it and I mean, he really, really does stick to it. You got cameos that are fun. The film gives you everything you can, like, really, really hope for it. Like, this is a hard R promise of the well-deserved one last ride that we that we deserve, right? You got Mike and Marcus. It's action-packed. There's fast cars. You got really cool fight scenes. There's car chases. You know, there's bullets everywhere flying. There's cool technology. There's sex appeal. Yo, shout out to uh, the actress that plays Rita. She's like a Latina Kobe Smolder. She looks really good. Age appropriate too. Vanessa Hudgens, I wanna see her do more roles like this. She should be the new Zoe Zaldana for the 2020s, to be honest with you. I, get away from Netflix and those holiday movies. Come over here and do stuff like this. She looked good. She kicked ass, and I think that she was written well. I love this team, and I'm really excited to see what can happen going forward. Yo, you even got a witch in the movie. I'm telling you, don't let that throw you off. It is, it is funny. This movie has loads of heart. It's about finding purpose and identity for Mike. It's about finding a sense of self and this kind of renewed vigor for the love that he has for his best friend with Marcus. I mean, it's really about celebrating friendship and it does it in the most hilarious way. This movie is so funny. Yo, oh my gosh. Let's raise up a toast to bad boys for life.
We ride together. We die together. Bad Boys for Life. Kobe Tommy rating for Bad Boys for Life is an 8 out of 10. It is a great film. Best action movie of the decade. Don't at me. Yo, in the number two spot, you got Doolittle. That actually cracked in to the top 10, and I'm surprised, y'all. I'm actually pleasantly surprised. And it's not because of this movie's great. It's because before the movie even came out, we all thought like sheep that this movie's gonna be absolute garbage. And I don't think that it was. And maybe it's because of how great that Bad Boys for Life did this movie made some money. It made $28.3 million at the domestic box office this weekend. So in total, globally, it made $57.3 million. And you're probably thinking to yourself, yo, Kobe, that doesn't sound too bad. Cats would have loved to have an opening weekend like that. But the thing is, the movie cost $175 million. So this movie stands to lose a whole bunch. I'm sorry, RDJ. And there's... There is the bones of something really good in this film. I just think it kind of stumbled getting there. Like, Doolittle is not a great movie. But I think it is far from like the hyperbolic trash that everybody just thought that it was going to be. Oh, it's being released released in January. Oh, we've heard it had production issues. The trailer didn't look too cool. The CG is this. And yeah, there was a lot of that you could think there. But I go into every movie screening with an open mind. I mean, why not? We spend money on this stuff. Why not go into these screenings with an open mind? And I had a decent time with it. I really did. I think the... The story isn't, you know, it's not doing anything super duper special. It's a bit conventional in a lot of the things that it does. It definitely, it definitely is trying to be this kind of unique mix of Pirates of the Caribbean with a Dr. Doolittle story. Now, I'm unfamiliar with the, uh, you know, I, I didn't know that Dr. Doolittle kind of had like an Adventures of Sinbad type thing going on. You know, I'm only familiar with the Eddie Murphy Dr. Doolittle movie. And I, I think for the most part, a lot of people are right like i'm not i don't think i'm alone you know in that sentiment so i thought that this was cool um but this did feel like a few different movies happening at the same time the editing is not great um i could tell that there was something that was shot they didn't like it they chopped it up they chopped it up and they brought in somebody to kind of spice some things up and the thing is the spice works but it's like when you're when you're cooking with a, rep- a recipe right you got to follow what that intended recipe is and then if it doesn't work out you got to throw the whole thing out and start it over i feel like they had a recipe they put in some ingredients they didn't like the way it tastes so they tried to add something else but like that's for that's like for something else you know (laughs) you know what i mean like there's a good movie in there but it needed a lot better execution and like i wasn't in love with robert downey jr's interpretation of the character like it was really hard to hear him a lot um this kind of i don't know if it's welsh or scottish kind of accent but I mean, maybe call me a sucker. There's something that did end up becoming charming about his character. All the individual animals and trying to search for their voices and stuff. And I watched it with the Mrs. Mac and the Minnie Mac. And yo, we had a good time. You know, so like, it's a bad film in parts, but I don't think in the whole. And it has some redeeming pieces to it where I think that in the right crowd, you can make it a fun watch. Give it a try. I don't know if you necessarily have to go out to the movie theater to watch it. I mean, it definitely helped. It I mean, RDJ is good. He's got a lot of Marvel money to sit on. But when it comes out on Redbox, get at your boy and let me know what you think. The Kobe told me rating for Doolittle is a 5 out of 10. 
In the number three spot, though, you got 1917. I guess that was pretty short-lived that it had in its number one. I'm going to stop treating 1917 like that. Yo, 1917 is a great film, but I think we're getting a little carried away with the awards madness and with the, you know, the masterpiece stuff and stuff like that. It's going to get to the point where we're going to start poking holes at it. And I know that when I go ahead with the minorities and we get into our top 20, excuse me, our top 10 to 2019, we about to come to blows on this movie. Um, so little tease there, but 1917 brought in $27 million. Totally. It's made $144 million at the global box office in the number four spot. You got Jumanji, the next level. Yo, this thing is still making money. It's got legs and yo, bad boys for life really did help out. There were so many sold out shows of bad boys for life where people were not trying to go back home. So they're like, yo, we're going to watch anything else. Let's watch that Jumanji movie again. Making $12.6 million over that holiday weekend is nuts. It's made $712 million globally. Star Wars finally clocked a, bil clocked a billion dollars. It's now at $1.03 billion. It made $10.5 million over the weekend to be at the number five spot. Little Women is being the monster it is. It made $8.2 million. It's made $131 million worldwide. Just Mercy at number seven with $7.5 million. Knives Out. Still, Knives Out has been out since Thanksgiving. And now that it's an Oscar-nominated uh, Oscar film, um, it's going to like kind of go back into theaters and get a little run there. So, you know, it made $5.3 million. This movie has made $278 million worldwide off of a $40 million budget. That's a super success. And you can definitely expect that Ryan Johnson and Benoit Blanc are going to be back in theaters very soon. And give that like a year, year and a half, two years. I'm ready for more stories like that. That, that give, me, give me that. I'm going to be very, very happy with it, right? Yo, Frozen 2 is still in the top 10 at the number 9 spot, making $5.325 million, a shade under uh, Knives Out. It's made $1.4 billion over its run. Like a Boss hangs in in the top 10, making $4.7 million. It's only making $19 million worldwide off a $29 million budget, and it's been out. This is now its second weekend. This isn't good. This will lose some money. And it's surprising because these are the type of comedies that should be pretty easy to spit it out, turn it out, and make a profit, but not this far. And yo, opening up this weekend, you do have The Gentleman. I'm actually going to be heading out to a screening a little bit after this podcast to take it out. I'm excited to get back to what Guy Ritchie did best. Guy Ritchie had kind of this roguish, uh, you know, British comedy, and dark comedy that had some gangster roughness to it. You know, I love Snatch and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. And, yo, know, I'm a really big fan of old Guy Ritchie. And, and, and I'm not too sure how much that was Guy Ritchie or, or Matthew Vaughn. But I'm really hoping that tonight with this big cast, I'm going to have some fun. You give me a solid story. You give me some cool characters with some decent action. And just win me over, man. That's a good time at the movies. You know, this specific one is about... Matthew McConaughey's character, Mickey Pearson, he's an American expatriate who became rich by building a marijuana empire in London. I gotta be honest with you, the whole marijuana part in these films and always feel like, like, okay, what's well, just marijuana, whatever. You know, when word gets out that he's looking to cash out of the business, his, it kind of triggers an array of plots and schemes from those who want his fortune. Just please be fun. And also opening up this weekend, you have another January horror movie release. And the, the turning looks cool, right? It, like, it looks cool. You know, it's got Mackenzie Davis in it. And, you know, I've liked some of the stuff that she's did. But it's got the Stranger Things kid. 
I don't know about it. Like, I, I feel like it's going to end up being really, really bad. I think it's going to be better than The Grudge, but I don't think it's going to be that much better. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, yo, that's what you got opening up this weekend. I'm unsure if anything is dropping this week on uh, on Netflix, but if I do find something, um, you can make sure to follow me on the socials. I'll be more than happy uh, to let y'all know about it. Yo, before I get going, shout outs this week too. Real Spoilers, at Real Spoilers on Twitter, that's real with two E's, shout out to the guys for letting your boy come on aboard, I did a, it's always great to flesh out your thoughts um, in podcast form, especially with a group of podcasters, um, this this week I had um, the pleasure of joining uh, Kevin and uh, Tom from Real Spoilers while Joe was out on vacation and we chopped it up about Bad Boys for Life and it was a great conversation. We, I also joined them for their Doolittle episode. So I know Bad Boys for Life is out right now on their podcast platform. So please, you'll follow that show. Um, it, it's so dope that I've been on this journey for a little bit over the year and the first podcast to ever give your boy a guest spot was Real Spoilers and this happened to be the first podcast that I guest spotted this year. So I hope to do it and join them more often. Those guys have been incredibly supportive of me and I love their work. Um, the way that they get into into a very spoiler-filled conversation. It really is like a book club, but for movies, and I love him. Uh, Kevin's been great. He's been a really great friend, and we're going to meet up one day, but we're going to meet up in Disney World very, very soon, all right? So please follow them at Real Spoilers and listen to the podcast now. And shout-outs to the Cinema Guys at The Cinema Guys on Twitter. They're also a great podcast, and they're so much fun. Uh, they kind of have like a bi-weekly format, and they're from a little bit of everywhere, and their conversations are always super lively. We ended, I ended up joining them for a Bad Boys for Life review too, and it was fun. I love it when a film can come out and I could just spend you know, four, five, six, seven, eight different podcasts talking about it because I can just be able to celebrate how good it is and always flesh out and find something new to be able to take away. So make sure you're following the cinema guys and listening to the pod. That should be dropping very, very soon too. Probably at the same time as this solo sweetness you got going on right now is. And, and shout outs to everybody, all my friends from Film Twitter um, that are in Sundance right now. Please be safe. Try to stay warm. Have fun. Watch a bunch of films and make sure to talk about about it because I'm definitely going to be catching up with everything and I proclaim that next year I will be at the Sundance Film Festival as press that is my goal I'm going to work very very hard I'm going to learn as much as I can I am going to direct all my energy into doing what I need to do to get the proper credentials to make that happen so I'm hoping to be in uh you know in Park City next year uh so yeah definitely you know keep me to that guys I, I really want to be there and be a part of that kickoff of, you know, the film festival circuit uh, for 2021. Yo, coming soon, Kobe, Toby will have his top 10 or top 15 or top 25. Haven't decided yet of 2019. I had to push that back uh, because of those uh, those adulting issues that happened at the beginning of the week. With my, house. No, my house is good now, right? Plumbing's fixed. Basement's fixed. I got time back on my hand, but the top 10 or 2019 will be coming soon. I'll also be doing the Golden Cobes. My inaugural award show will be dropping. I want some fun categories. Please nominate something for me to kind of get into. This is my celebration of individual performances and takeaways of 2019 from all the films that I watch. The Stream Team Podcast will be coming soon at some time. And there's also another podcast that I can definitely assure 
will be dropping very soon. I don't want to give you the date just yet, but it is going to be really unique and really special and for the culture. I'm really excited for it. As always, you can visit my website for any and all written content at kobetomi.com. You can listen to me co-hosting with the crew at the Minorities Report Film Podcast. Catch all of our crazy commentary and us tweeting at mreportpod on Twitter and on Insta. And remember, when they ask you where you heard it from, tell them Kobe told me. Peace.